everyone. Welcome to Then Again. Uh, we are so glad to have you with us. I'm Glenn, and today we're going to have the third and final part of our three-part series on important things that happen in Latin America. And as before, we have Dr. Spock from UNG with us. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Spock. Hello. Glad to be here. So the thing we're going to talk about today, you know, Here's an insight into into Glenn's mind. The closer we get to the present, the shakier my history knowledge gets, believe it or not. <laughs> we but, all have that. Mine is 1800 <laughs> to 1900. All right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, today it's something that definitely has lasting impact and is almost an exemplar of the United States during the Cold War. The Cold War, of course, we think of us versus them, America versus the Soviets, but the Cold War went everywhere. It was truly a global Cold War, and, you know, in some ways, the United States considered the most important front its own, quote, backyard here in the Western Hemisphere. So, so Dr. Spike, take us into this particular example of American involvement in trying to fight the Russians somewhere else. Okay, yeah, so we're going to talk about Guatemala today, uh, and we're going to specifically get to 1954 and an overthrow, uh, which is enabled by a CIA operation called Operation PB Success. But to get there, you know, let's think about, okay, well, why, you know, why are we interested in Guatemala and, and why with all the things in the Cold War history of the U.S. with Latin America, you know, why, why do I want to talk about this? So to go back, we're going to just start a little a little bit before, about 1944, with what Guatemala is like. Guatemala is a banana republic at this point in time. And for those who may not be familiar with what a banana republic is, I mean, literally, it's about bananas. You know, we use that term now, but it, it's coined because of Central America, right? And the U.S. is, and particularly the United Fruit Company's role in Central America. Banana Republic is a small country whose economy is dominated by foreign companies. They're dependent on a single export commodity, and bananas is just one example of that. Typically, they're governed by a dictator or the armed forces, and there is this incredible external influence because of that, you know, single export and the foreign companies that dominate the economy. So all throughout Central America, uh, in the early 20th century, you have the United Fruit Company, which is a massive U.S. company that is investing all over Latin America. And, you know, they are investing, right? They're putting in money. They are building railroads and ports, but not in ways that actually benefits the people of the country, right? You know, right. they're building railroads from a uh, uh, finca or land holding, you know, with bananas to the port and then go anywhere else, right? So it's not like you can, you know, use this railroad if you are a Guatemalan, uh, generally speaking. But in any case, what ends up happening here is that between 1898 and 1944, excuse me, I almost said 94, in Guatemala, that's not, <laughs> that's not so, there's this whole series of military dictatorships that is in part supported by the United Fruit Company, who is headquartered in Guatemala in Bananera, right? They have their fingers in almost every pine in Guatemala and the unconditional support of the right-wing dictators. So um, in, by 1944, folks had had enough, right? And they forced the resignation of the president, dictator by the name of Ubico. 
And, you know, they, they talk about it as an October revolution, not like the Bolshevik October <laughs> revolution, right? Although, you know, some folks looked at it and said, oh, no, it is another Bolshevik right. revolution. Every revolution is a Bolshevik revolution. Absolutely, right? <laughs> you know, that just rings alarm bells. And, and some of the things that they, they want to change, you know, they don't have a concrete program, but what they want to do, they want to end this kind of semi-feudal nature of the Guatemalan economy and make it more... Uh, independent, right, and the dependence on foreign economies and, and create a more capitalist, industrialized economy and modernize Guatemala, but modernize Guatemala for Guatemalans, right? right? Right. So in order to do this, one of the things that they do, it, well, what ends up happening is the election of a man by the name of Juan Jose Arevalo. And when he's elected, he comes to the office and he starts setting off alarm bells in the United States because he talks about his politics and his program as spiritual socialism, right? And so there's that word that where everybody's like, oh, oh no. So what he means is that, you know, communal welfare comes first before individual concerns. And that, you know, we have a commitment to general welfare, right? This is what, how Arevalo defines it. And so he's kind of progressive. He's not very radical by any means. He enacts a labor code that the United Fruit Company doesn't like, new constitution, uh, and, you know, he accomplishes some things, but then by 1950, there is the, an election of a more committed progressive, let's say, right? A guy right. named Arbenz. <laughs> and Arbenz, when he comes into uh, power, he starts a very aggressive program of land reform, right? Which is going to threaten the United Fruit Company. Right. Uh, they very much do not like it. Basically, the idea is, is that much of the fruit company's lands, about one-seventh of all of Guatemala, the United Fruit Company owns, but it's fallow. They don't use it by company policy. And so Arben says, great, we're going to buy this land from you. And, and you're going to sell it to us because, you know, it's by law now. We've passed this right. law. So not take it, but actually it. buy it. Yeah, but, but here's why the United Fruit Company doesn't <laughs> like it. We are going to buy it. We are going to buy it based on what you have paid us in taxes, what you have told us this land is worth. Right. And the United Fruit Company for about 100 years paid virtually no taxes, right? Because they were in bed with the government. And right. the government, you know, okay, great. So they looked at the taxes and they said, okay, you have valued this land at $1.66 million. <laughs> and the United Fruit Company was like, ha, ah, hold up, nah. <laughs> this is worth $16 million. And our Benz was like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> So this sets up a confrontation with United Fruit and eventually, of course, with the United States. United Fruit has this very dominant position, and also they have the ear of important people in D.C. So the Secretary of State, John Dulles, he's a part of United Fruit. Right. His brother, the director of the CIA, he's part of United Fruit. Eisenhower's <laughs> brother, <laughs> the president's brother, he's a part of United Fruit. So, you know, there's a lot of internal pressure. Right. Right. That sets up what's going to happen. You so, know, it's it's just as a side note, it's funny. Yeah. That's the exact those sort of political and economic ties are the exact sort of thing that were around mm -hmm. in the late 18th and early 19th century in American economics and things. And then they didn't consider it that bad. But you know, yeah. theoretically, we we were supposed to have evolved our ethics a little beyond that mm -hmm. when we get to the 1950s. But as you're Please continue, but as you're saying, apparently not. Yeah, well, yeah, and I mean, you know, these are the kinds of things where, you know, hopefully we 
we see an alarm bells and ethics investigations, right? right? But not so much during this era. And, and to be fair, the way that the U.S. saw this, what, what the view from the North is, right? When you kind of contextualize it within the Cold War beliefs and kind of Cold War ethos, you know, they see this entry of spiritual socialism and then you know, domino uh, containment doctrine and domino theory say, you know, you, you, once you have this wedge, it's going to spread. It goes everywhere mm-hmm. and it compounds itself. And they look at what happens with first Sarajevo and then Arbenz and said, look, we're seeing it already. Right. First president's more moderate. The second president is, you know, and these guys are elected. They're legitimately democratically elected. Right. But they are bringing socialism into the Americas and that socialism is getting more and more entrenched and more and more overt. So they they see it as a a real danger, right? And eventually what kind of kicks this off is that Arbenz begins this program, again, of land reform under a law that had been called Decree 900. And United Fruit, again, is just like, nope. And the U.S. starts putting pressure on other nations to isolate Guatemala diplomatically. And by 1954, Guatemala is cut off from most of the West in a lot of ways. And so Arbenz turns to the East Bloc to buy weapons, which, of course, is a, sets off a lot of alarm bells in the United States. And they say, OK, well, you know, he's buying arms. This is the time we move against him. And so internally in Guatemala, the elites don't like what's going on either. They see it as a threat to themselves and to, the, and to their wealth and to their uh, status. And so there are people within Guatemala that want Arbenz out. They want to overthrow Arbenz and the CIA enables this. They gather a really small force of, force of Guatemalans and they take them to Honduras to train. They CIA begins this kind of Operation TV success. They use disinformation on the radio to make people think a major invasion is underway with these people that are trained elsewhere. They drop a few sticks of dynamite out of a small plane in Guatemala City to spread fear. And Arbenz really believes that there is an invasion underway, right? But the army doesn't do anything to resist it because some of the leaders of the army are among those who want Arbenz out. And so... Arbenz flees the country and this very small group of people, there's only 300 Guatemalans that carry off this revolution <laughs> with the support of the CIA, right. move in and the, the leader, Castillo Armas, becomes the, you know, through a coup, the president of Guatemala. So, but please tell me that the United Fruit Company is okay in all this. <laughs> yeah, the United Fruit Company does just fine. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, they, they get some of their land back. Eventually, though, uh, you know, the, their reputation does catch up with them starting really in the 70s. That's when we see the United Fruit Company change its name to United Brands. And in my childhood in the 70s, what I remember is this rebranding this is the year of the Chiquita Banana Lady, right? Mm-hmm. It's modeled yeah. on, you know, a Brazilian actress. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. But so they try and, you know, power through these difficulties. Ultimately, they end up selling their lands to Del Monte. And Del Monte still owns a lot of those lands, not all of them, but a lot of them throughout Central America. Um, although, you know, the, the kind of strong arm tactics and the domination of the government, not the same as it was. Right. They still have a lot of influence, but right. nothing on par with what it was. Well, so, you know, when did when did it become public knowledge 
that the United States had had a huge role in making this in this go down. The yeah. CIA was, in effect, behind the entire thing. So there had always been rumors, and it was widely believed in Latin America. One of the kinds of so what's of this, I mean, to begin with, you know, this is the first of what is going to become a lot of CIA operations throughout Latin America over the course of the Cold War. They get the idea that, it, well, this is easy, right? <laughs> you know, they, which right. is such a smashing success. Kind of like the splendid little war, you know. Right, yeah. I mean, that's a problem. It worked. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you look to other events like the Bay of Pigs, right? They model that in great part on PB success. They have a small group of expatriates. They're going to take and train. They're going to give them some support. But by and large, it's going to be these expats. And so we have clean hands, y'all. <laughs> right. But of course, that goes a completely you know, different way, the Bay of Pigs. Che Guevara, who is one of the leaders of the um, Cuban Revolution, kind of one of the, the ideological architects, is in Guatemala when this goes down, and it deeply influences his ideas about you know, the United States. But to answer your question of when it's official public knowledge, about 20 years ago, I think, most of the documents would be classified. And you can okay. go online in the National Archives now and read lots of this stuff for yourself. Right. Operation PB Success. PB Success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with this activity, was it, I mean, what you're telling me is that there were, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-interested economic concerns that drove this. Yep. There were, at the time, what was considered legitimate ideological concerns mm-hmm. that, that did this. So how did this, how did the United States government, as you say, this, this they started to get more and more involved in Latin America on mm-hmm. this basis, using this as a model. Yeah. Here, well, and this is complicated. Why? <laughs> and, and and how does that fit into the Cold War? How did yeah. how did they how did they justify it fitting in with the Cold so, War? The U.S. had long been involved in Latin America, right? We occupied nations all over Latin America dozens and dozens of times before the Cold War. And before our idea was always, we are promoting stability and encouraging democracy, right? But now that there is this Cold War ethos, it's re-energized. And we see a new era of not not direct occupations this time, right? We're not sending Marines like we did to Haiti and Nicaragua and Cuba, but instead we're operating behind the scenes. And we are really now talking about within the terms of, you know, containment doctrine, right? Particularly after the Cuban revolution. Once the Cuban revolution is entrenched and successful, there is what emerges, it's known as the man doctrine in the United States, which basically is just no more Cubas. No more Cubas, no matter what. We cannot afford that in this hemisphere, right? And and we see it as our hemisphere. And especially within the Cold War, once nations start falling to communism, that magnifies the danger to the United States, right? It's within our zone of influence. So beyond that, you know, in terms of why we do this, you know, we talk about this as we're doing this to support democracy, just like before, and to subvert communism. But the problem with that is that when you look back at the era of the Cold War in Latin America, what ends up happening is we actually end up being a much greater support for governments that aren't democratic, right? Military juntas for um, coups by the military. And 
there had been several instances in Latin American history where we support coups to overthrow legitimately democratically elected presidents because they're too leftist for our taste. Right. So it's it seems like if there had been if we had taken the effort and money we spent on coups and military stuff mm-hmm. and just used it for I'm gonna let me invent a word directed freedom. Yeah. <laughs> then it then every yeah then everyone would have it seems like come out a lot better in in the entire hemisphere. I mean, perhaps, but I, yes, comma, but. Comma, and, but. And here's the thing, right, <laughs> that, you know, in, in kind of looking at history and our tendency as people to paint people as either being entirely good or entirely bad, and, you know, this is the good side, this is the bad side, it loses all the, the complexity and the nuance. And there are actors in Latin America that are like, bring this on. This is what we want, right? Right. So you look at the Southern cone of South America, and the overthrow of the Chilean government, right? Uh, and a military government moves in to mirror the one that's already going on in Argentina. There are a lot of folks within the entire Southern Cone, including Brazil and Paraguay, that are in great favor of, yes, this is the government we want, right? They are moral, they are stable, they will modernize it, you know, bring us into the world in a way that we want to be brought in. And so, you know, there's culpability within Latin America as well. Um, You know, it's not a completely black hat, white hat kind of thing. Right. But absolutely, you know, had we, and there was a moment, right? (laughs) Or at least maybe a glimmer of a moment. moment. (laughs) The election of Jimmy Carter, he talks in his inauguration address as, we need to enable human rights in Latin America. We need to take Latin America seriously as diplomatic partners, not like big brother, little brother kind of relationship. And in his presidency, he doesn't 100% live up to this, right? Not at all. But does he kind of ease up on Cold War intervention? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And he does have more good faith interactions within Latin America than, you know, other Cold War presidents. Right. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're able to bring out the nuanced complexities of everything. As you've said in all three of these episodes, everything's complex. Yep, everything's complex. <laughs> <laughs> so let me get you to give folks a source or two if you have it, and then I want to ask you another question that yep. kind of ties in with this. Yep. So I would say that this is the time where you want to go to the primary sources themselves, right? It's really interesting. It's CIA documents. Who doesn't want to read them? So go to the National Archives website, you know, nationalarchives.org. And if you put in Guatemala 1954 or Operation TV Success, you'll get CIA documents that you can read. And it's fascinating. And we can all be spies. Yeah. You know, Are, this is what we're supposed to tell you anyways, historians, right? Go to the primary sources. Go to the primary sources, yeah. Well, I, I have to ask, too, because this, and, you know, if, if you have it, that's fine. We won't use this part, but this trope of Latin America, good guys, bad guys, CIA mm-hmm. gets involved. Man, we sure are nice to help them out in these ways. <laughs> have you seen season two of Jack Ryan? No, but my father loved that show. And he is on me all the time about it because this is what he knows about Latin America, right? right. To relate to me. And I feel bad. I'm letting him down as a daughter because I have not watched it. But he's told me about it. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's a good popcorn show, right? Yeah. 
and it's got Jim Jim Halpert as CIA agent. It takes a little bit to get that out of yeah. to 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 shift that genre with him, but the show it's really good. But it's it is that trope. It is crooked Latin American government with a underdog freedom fighter that we're trying to help out, but secretly. Yeah. But the CIA agents are rogue and and hijinks and adventure ensues. Yeah. You know, there are hijinks in Latin American Cold War history, though. I mean, so you, I'm sure you know about this and probably some of your listeners, too. But, you know, there's this whole series of plots to assassinate or depower Fidel Castro called Operation Mongoose. Yeah. In Operation Mongoose, you know, they are suggesting things like, well, um, we're going to get him to smoke an exploding cigar. We're going to put explosives. He likes to die. And there's, you know, big clams, the giant clams right. the, around Cuba. We're going to put explosives in those. There was one that was my favorite. We're going to fake the second coming of Jesus Christ in Havana. And the population is going to rise up. And, and <laughs> well, how, how are you going to do that? No, actually, this one's my favorite. My, my favorite is not actually a plot to kill Castro, but to, to take away his power and get people to question him. Somehow they were going to slip him a depilatory, which takes out hair, right? And he's going <laughs> right. to lose his beard because everybody knows that's where the power of the communists lie, especially in Latin America. Right. <laughs> and, as, them, they're over. and as a man of culture, I have to draw parallels. I suppose they were watching Bugs Bunny cartoons to get half of these ideas that because exploding right? cigars, depilatory liquids, mm-hmm. it's all there. Bugs yeah, was yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe there's a glimmer of truth to that beard thing because there is this photo of Fidel and then another really famous revolutionary, Camilo Cienfuegos, and they're wearing baseball uniforms because, you know, Cuba is a baseball country. Right. Uh, Fidel loved baseball. He wanted to play for the Yankees. And their team name is the Barbudos, the, the beardies, right? Bearded guys. Right. <laughs> Oh, well, we'll end it up there. Dr. Spike, thank you so much for spending this time with us and hopefully getting people interested in some very important parts of history, getting them to research them a little further and getting them to appreciate that there is history outside Hall County. There's history outside Georgia, the United States that still has a lot to do with us in every way. You'll find your life there. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Then Again. We hope you continue to listen. We hope you share all this with your friends. We appreciate all that you do to get the word out about what we have going on. And until you tune in next time, stay safe and take care. Thanks. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the Donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.